0: And welcome back to the latest edition of The Profit Roadmap. I'm Bear Duplissy, alongside my always is Cody Owen. Party on, Cody. Party on, Bear. Thank you. I just wanted to throw that 90s reference in there for you. But we have back today a long-awaited, anticipated return of, well, it could have been two seconds. It'd still be long-awaited and anticipated. But we have our CEO and owner of Service Autopilot and the man as most people call him, Jonathan Potoshnik is back in the house. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we're so excited to have you.
1: Hey, I really don't think most people call me the man. I've not heard that reference. <laughs> most <laughs> that a, most people, most people currently in this studio—that's
0: probably, probably that's probably the, the just me. Okay, okay. well then, <laughs> I'm really arrogant. I, I don't know if this come across. I, I kind of come across as the everyman, so you know, I am really arrogant. So when I say everyone, and it's just me. I really think the world revolves <laughs> around it. So, uh, but we're so excited to have you back, Jonathan. It's uh, fantastic uh, to to get you on board with another episode of the Profit Roadmap. I know uh, a lot of people really enjoyed the last time you were on. Uh, really took some of your words to heart. And something that uh, Cody and I were discussing about getting um, some words of wisdom on. This is kind of the interesting time in the in the green industry. The, you know, you've you've. You're getting your folks signed up for their normal maintenance contracts you're You're getting people on board for the season and everything. but what's the next step as far as uh, perhaps even taking those clients that you've had for a number of years and you know moving them on up the ranks in terms of those high um not necessarily high dollar but high value clients right that makes sense yeah so
2: we're yeah. we're approaching selling season. What's what's next after selling season for
1: the owners that want to be ahead? Okay. Yeah, that's a good topic. Uh, one, because specifically to the green industry, what happens is we – depending on if you're in the north or south or you know di- different geographic re- regions, you have this opportunity that lasts 30, 60, 90 days to sell a tremendous amount of business and work. After that, everything just really slows down. And the timing of it, as everyone knows, is – when the grass starts growing or the leaves start turning colors or appearing and the flowers are out and the birds start chirping, that moment in time is when everyone starts, especially homeowners, they really start thinking about what they need to do with their properties. And that's the time when they buy. And so what happens is you have this window of time, 30, 60, 90 days, whatever it is in your market that will really set up the rest of your year. And so for most companies, they experience that window of time just like they've experienced in the past. They get all excited, like, this is going to be the year. And then they hit the wall, just like every other company does, where most of the homeowners have bought, meaning they found a new lawn care company, a new irrigation company, a new whatever. They've already talked to somebody about their outdoor projects. And we all sort of hit this wall, and sales just drop off. And as a result, your, your year is sort of baked in during about a three month selling season. And however well you did during that three month season is gonna somewhat dictate what the rest of your year is gonna look like. And that's not a very awesome place to be inside of businesses to just have, uh, not that you can't sell 12 months of the year, but you're really doing the bulk of your selling in, in 90 days. So your point's really relevant or your this conversation is super relevant because how do you take more control of your business? So if all you have is this seasonal 90 day selling window, And that's about what it's going to be for the year. That doesn't put you in control of your company, growing revenue, hitting your goals, or any of those things. And so one way to get in control of your revenue and your business is through upselling. Because upselling allows you to go back and sell the clients that you already have outside of that 90-day window of big sales opportunity to bring on new clients. It allows you to go back to them and sell them things that they need. And that allows you to do what's called expanding your revenue or expanding the value of the client. Better said, expanding the value of the client.
0: For some of our listeners that are thinking about expanding services or or wanting to take that next step by upselling, what are some simple or small services that they can offer that get a really nice return on their, uh, you know, a, ne- a really nice return for what they're, what they're offering. Do you have any specific ideas for some of our members that are looking like?
1: I mean, we tend to find some of the most profitable services are fertilization, we control, pest control, irrigation repair, mulch installation. These are services that are really profitable. However, before you simply add another service offering to your business, I'd simply look at your P&L statement. So if it's QuickBooks or Service Autopilot or whatever system you're using, Just look at what services generate revenue for your business. You know what you're selling. And then think about those services first. So there's probably one or two main services in your business that are driving most of the revenue. So you've got other services inside the company that you already know how to to. To provide, Would 80, you say
2: that it's 20% of your services produced 80%, 80%, 80% of seriously. their revenue? Odds are
1: it's probably 80-20, something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, it could be 70-30, whatever, but it's that kind of a thing. And so you've got these additional services inside your company that you're already trained to provide. You already know how to source the materials. You know how to sell it to the client. You know how to service it. You know how to manage it from a project standpoint. So that is the most logical thing to upsell versus adding a new service line. So maybe I said fertilization weed control is one of the most profitable services, but you're not in that yet. Then you don't need to get into it to be able to upsell. So, I mean, it's as simple as you look at your, as they might say, book a business and you have... In your number one service offerings lawn mowing. Well, how many of your lawn mowing clients are biweekly? An example of an upsell would be taking your bi weekly clients and showing them and teaching them why they should be weekly clients and in a sense upselling them into weekly service. You already do that, it doesn't cost you anything. I mean, in a sense to to sell more revenue to the client, you gotta go out and service it, but you don't have to train new people. You don't have to hire new people. You don't have to do anything. You already know how to do that. And and then another would be, if you're in fertilization weed control, look at everybody that buys weekly lawn mowing or mowing from you and doesn't have fertilization weed control. Now you can educate them on why they need fertilization weed control. Why, if you kill all the weeds in the property, you probably need to mow a few less times each year. Why, if you kill all the weeds in the property, uh, you will you know, what, what the benefit is they'll gain from that. And you kind of go through and teach them and just look at everything you've got and uh, there's all kinds of stuff you already offer that you're just not selling back to your clients because they don't know either you offer it or two, you've never bothered to go back and say, hey, we could do this thing for you. We could fix this thing for you. So we're we're
2: looking at our services that are the most profitable and then we're pulling a list of clients who are clients with us but don't have that service and targeting them with that service. Yes, Yes.
0: Is there any value? This, this is something a thought that may have just occurred to me. And and if I'm totally off base, you can let me know. Is there any, is there any profitability or is there any value in perhaps referring business out and perhaps coming to an agreement or building a relationship with a vendor that offers services that you don't, that you might be able to get a referral, not kickback, that sounds so negative, but a referral feedback or something like that to where
1: there, I think um, instead of thinking about it purely from a financial standpoint, I think you first focus on a customer service standpoint. What I mean by that is I would be afraid to do that to the detriment of disappointing the client. So before I uh, asked for a commission or worked with a vendor that I could outsource work to, so let's just pick something like, for example, irrigation installation. So before you outsource the installation of irrigation systems to an irrigation company, if you were in the lawn care business and you didn't wanna provide the installation service, I'd want to be 100% certain that I have full faith and trust in that irrigation company, because anytime I recommend, even if I didn't do the work, but if I recommend and it goes wrong, it still reflects on me. Right. Of and so just to make yeah, and I know you know that, but just to make a little bit extra money, but potentially not be recommending the very best person, I wouldn't do it. But You're trusting your reputation, your, to, yep, to your that, that other company your reputation. So if I'm absolutely positive that I can refer work to this company, and they'll serve the client. They'll care for the client. They'll represent me because I referred them in a good light, and they'll they'll serve the client well. Then I'd be comfortable with that. And if you can make some money off it, great. And I'll give you a, a good example here. So a lot of times, when you're starting a new profit center or a new service offering inside your business, it's not necessarily pr- profitable. So you might say, "Well, I don't, I don't get that." That's not true if it's just you and a truck or it's you and a couple people in a truck and now you start doing some new thing and you're personally doing the work, like let's say you start trimming bushes. You never did that before. And so now you start trimming bushes and you do the work with two guys in your truck. Yes, that's immediately profitable because you're delivering that. But as your business gets bigger, and you decide, hey, we want to add a new service line, and you've got to go hire somebody maybe to run it. You've got to get licensed. You got to do all. You got to buy trucks and equipment. Then you got to train the sales team to go sell it. That is generally not going to be profitable for some period of time until you build that side of the business to a, a certain size. It's very different as you get bigger, delivering a service than when it was just you and a truck and you could just go out and do the work yourself and immediately generate revenue or generate profit. Okay, so holding that in the back of your mind, that kind of a concept. One of the neat things about outsourcing the service and maybe making some money on it is, let's say you made five percent or ten percent. That is probably more profit. That you, meaning you're you go out. Let's do the irrigation installation. Guy goes out and does a. This is a big number. Let's say it's commercial. Does a ten thousand dollar irrigation in, install at a commercial property, and he gives you ten percent of the job. So you make a thousand bucks. Realistically, if you were to go build an irrigation installation division. For some period of time, there's no way in the world you'd be making 10% profit because of the investment and the learning and the training and the hiring and all that. So you're immediately financially doing better by outsourcing it and making 10%. There's that. that. One, you're making more money. Two, before you jump into this, you could outsource that service to somebody you trust, and you can track how much revenue you're outsourcing. So, you could say to yourself, you know what? When we discover that on an annual basis, we're outsourcing about $300,000 a year in annual or in irrigation installs, that would be an indicator it's time to go invest. Mm -hmm. So, instead of outsourcing the $300,000, we'll bring that back in house, we'll go hire somebody to run the irrigation side of our business, and we'll build that out. But we won't do it until we know we're ready. And one last thought you'll see it, we see it all the time. So you uh, you go out and sell a contract and you need some piece of equipment. And it's like ah, – and so you go spend 50000 on some piece of equipment, something special to, to service that property with the story that, hey, I'm going to sell lots more of this kind of service or these types of contracts. And then it never quite pans out and you're left carrying this $50,000 debt inside your organization. The way to mitigate risk is you go out and you outsource some of that stuff initially, until you prove without question to yourself that I can really go build a book of business around uh, whatever it is that requires this p- equipment. It's the example of outsourcing, and you really lower your risk inside your business. So there's a lot of value in Barrow. Exactly what you were asking, it can make a ton of sense.
0: Is there a way to also mitigate risk by perhaps um, in a in a in agreement with the the company that you trust and we're referring? To perhaps give your guys some give your guys some training on the matter you know send you know send a couple of guys from your from your division to go get go help on these these irrigation jobs in your example and that way if it's start if it's starting to kind of progress and you're seeing you're seeing maybe not three hundred thousand but you're seeing where you're you're outsourcing a hundred thousand you're like okay this is this is on the good track you know maybe I want to you know is there is there a possibility or would you do that? If
2: I'm that contractor, I'm not training another company's employees to offer my services.
1: But you never – yeah, yeah. I, I totally. But you never know if you're up front. I mean it all depends on the relationship. Yeah, exactly. It depends on the conversation. Yeah, this isn't but, about being sneaky or but anything. But there, there is a scenario here where what you do is you're like, hey – You just lay it out and say, would you like this business? I mean, it's free business. You you could even say, I don't want anything in return in terms of profits. But I do have somebody that um, will work with you if you'll mentor them and train them. And if you're very upfront to that company, like, so one of the things you'll see out in the marketplace right now is there's all of these companies like Lawn Starter and uh, like several names are slipping my Robin and all these other companies and they, what they do in many ways for a lot of contractors is they fill in gaps in their schedule. So you've got to Individual that started a company and he's got some number of his own properties, but he he's not full; his routes not full, so he can use a service like Lawn Starter or Robin or someone else to fill in some of the gaps in his schedule and keep him busy. There's a big demand out there for work. People don't know how to find their own work, so there is a legitimate scenario where maybe you've got an individual that owns an irrigation business, but he needs more work. And if you're very upfront with him and say, "Hey, you know, eventually we're going to bring this back in house," but I trust you. I like you. I'd like to send work to you. You can have it for nothing. Like, you don't have to pay me anything. My ask is you mentor one of my team members. And again, to be very upfront, one day when it's of a certain size, we're going to bring this in-house. We're eventually going to offer this service. But if you want this work in the meantime to fill in gaps in your schedule while you build your company, it's yours. Just please take great care of my clients. So with an honest conversation, it could happen. But you got to find the right person. It is hard to find the right person for some of this stuff.
0: But it's doable, right? I this think isn't, it is. This, I don't yeah, think it's an...
1: unrealistic. I think also if you try to cross... Not everyone's as
0: cutthroat as Cody is my point.
2: (laughs) I think if you go to someone and tell them, I want to be your direct competitor one day, the odds of them being like, yes, I will train you to kill me seems unlikely. No, no, and
1: it's a very, very legitimate point. If you look at, and we're predominantly focusing on the lawn care industry here, but this applies to cleaning and pools and pests. Everything we're talking about applies in these other industries. But if you look at the lawn care industry per se, it tends to be a fairly defensive, protective industry as compared to some of the others that I've worked with. And It's a very competitive industry. So it's a very legitimate point, what you're saying. And that's why I say the only way I think this would really work out is if you have that conversation up front. Also, these whole partnerships where I send you business tend to work best if, and back to my irrigation example, if you're an irrigation company, and I'm more of a mowing fertilization weed control company you're more of an irrigation company you you won't, it's pretty rare you'll find that a um, a comp- if I'm a lawn care fertilization weed control company I'm going to send irrigation work to another lawn care fertilization company because my fear is they're going to establish a nice relationship over because of irrigation with the client, and then steal my mowing away from me. So generally, these partnerships are a lawn mowing, fertilization, weed control, specialist to specialist. A pro- yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want it to be a, a symbiotic relationship yeah. where you're working together, and so that drives down the threat level just a bit.
2: Well, yep. jump in, jumping jumping yep. back in on upselling, yep. uh, how do you target existing customers? Like, what does that copy
1: look like? What what will,
2: what, what do you send them basically?
1: Uh, it would depend on what the, the item is in the time of year. So copy is going to be driven based on timing. So for example, what is the pain that they're having at this time of year? So for example, we if you're in the South and you're mowing lawns, we know the best time to promote mowing is in the South, depending on where you're at, is probably March and April are the absolute best times. So Mates got a lot of potential as well. But that wouldn't be a great time to be promoting leaf cleanup. And that's an exaggerated example. But think about it from that standpoint. What is the pain that they're having um, at certain times of year? So, for example, in Texas, we get a lot of rain in April, which would mean or potentially we do. And so that means that fire ants. The ant piles are going to pop up in lawns. You're going to have fire ants popping up in the lawns. You have parents with children that don't really want to send their kids out in the backyard because they're going to get stung with fire ants. So they want the fire ants out of their lawn. So when is the best time to be promoting fire ants? It's when the fire ant piles appear in the lawn versus in December saying, hey, in April, it's probably going to rain like it does every year. You're probably going to see some ants. You should really hop on and, and, you know prevent. It's like playing six
2: degrees of Kevin Bacon with you.
1: Yeah. If we were all great at prevention, we'd all be eating perfectly healthy and taking vitamins and exercising and sleeping eight hours. Oh, nobody does that. Almost nobody. I mean, very few people do because we're not very, humans are not very good at prevention. We're good at reaction. And so um, we all know we should be doing all that stuff. We don't do it. So it's hard to sell prevention. And so if you're trying to sell the It's back to my point. Trying to sell ant treatments in December, it's going to be very expensive marketing because you're going to have a lot lower return on investment because way fewer uh, individuals that you're advertising to are going to buy. So it's going to have a a low, a low cost. It's going to have a high cost of acquisition or high cost to sell. So I want to sell in April when they see fire ants and they have pain. So you asked about copy. My that's that's preceding copy is timing, and and so I want to make sure that I show up with the right timing and then. My copy is going to be all about in the moment, playing on the uh, f- essentially the fear angle. Like, it, 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 there's no other way. How many fire it,
0: ants did you see this morning? Yeah, yeah,
1: emotionally, we all react more to just fear. A, just a postcard with a crying child on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah or something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it's true. If you think about, we react more to fear than we do to gain. Now, you just go read most of the news, CNN, Drudge, whatever, and just notice what's on there. Most of it is is something's going to happen you know, soon, or something's negative, or a good thing is twisted to a negative. That's because it's most of the headlines have an element of fear base to basis to them, because all that's tested, and they know it works. So I'm not saying you have to make it this big, scary headline, but you can play on the concern of you, your kids getting bit, or there's going to be ants. You see the ants in your lawn. You know, you, there's a lot of things like that. What are they plotting? I think yeah. this interview has <laughs>
0: established that Cody is mysteriously cutthroat and evil at heart because, like, he's talking about like taking out other businesses and crying children. It's just awful. Uh, to 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 that point though, about timing though, Jonathan, the the one of the probably the biggest concerns, where I hear. I hear myself saying this, so I I know that other people have got to be saying it too. Okay, that's all well and good that Fire Ant, to use -hmm. the Fire Ant example, they pop up in April. Okay, what what do you do to alleviate that fear or to um, address the concern of like, am I too late? If I do a marketing push right now, am I too late? Because someone might have done it the previous month. Hey, Fire Ants are coming next month and... But you're saying, from your experience and everything like that, that that's not the way to do it. The the it is more reactive rather than proactive. I in this type the of style.
1: returns are better when you time uh, your marketing to the moment in time when the individual has a need or pain. No question about it. So if somebody else did the marketing, some marketing ahead of me, great. They started educating the market for me in advance on their dime. And now I'm going to sweep in and I'm going to win the business based on my reputation and timing and really well-written copy and a good call to action.
0: So kick the little that devil off your shoulder and say, forget matter. about it. Just, yep, Yeah. Take that create a marketing
1: calendar in January that says, these are all the opportunities throughout the year. This is what the client cares about at these different moment in time times, or this is what's happening outside their property at a mo- certain moment in time. Or if I'm in the cleaning business, this is when the kids go back to school, this is when spring break is, this is when the holidays are. I'd have a calendar and then I'd back up six, eight weeks from that that event and I'd start thinking through the thing that needs to get in the mail and get that thing written and get it mailed in advance so that it's arriving when that event is happening.
2: And in the show notes for this episode, I will have a link to the 11 and a half best ways to market your lawn care company. And I believe it's 13 ways to market your cleaning company that Patrick wrote that are super helpful for planning out that year of marketing. Cool. So they'll be in the show notes. That's an interesting
0: thing to take it off to another industry. You were talking about cleaning calendars. I had this, uh, this awesome, uh, this awesome company in my neighborhood, it's run by one of my neighbors, actually. She, she runs a cleaning business. And I thought this was a this was perfect. Um, she hung, she hung flyers that said, around the neighborhood said, after, you know, like the day before Halloween. It's like, do not clean up your decorations. And was basically like, let me do it. And then attached on the back of it was was basically sign up for her holiday package, which was essentially um talking about purchasing this package from her that would clean up, you know, prior and after Thanksgiving, prior and after Christmas, prior and after New Year's. And it was, I thought it was great. You know, I thought it was a great piece. And, I, you know, um, you know, I didn't hire her because I have no friends and no one came over to my house for, for the holidays. <laughs> oh, but, a lonely bear. But, but, I mean, from that perspective, I thought, you know, just to tie that in, you, when you mentioned the holiday and timing and stuff, I thought it was absolutely perfect. The day before, I mean, we're talking about the day before. You're talking about... Even a you know few weeks and stuff. I mean, she is just. I mean, she went full bore. So kick that little devil well, it could off your be shoulder. A few weeks
1: before you're planning, and the day before is brilliant. Um, one little note, you know, if you're mailing this and you're you're not distributing it by putting on the door, then you need to use a first class stamp. That way, you can control timing if you do bulk. Bulk mail could be delivered in five to 12 days. So you have very little control over timing. So in a case like that, if I was mailing something and I want it showing up the, like the day before or day after or whatever, which is way better than even a week in my opinion, or could be, be could be, you have to try things. Everything requires testing, but with a first class stamp, I could make sure it's there on the exact day. I want that. So I think what she did was smart. The, the
2: ideal time to get the, uh, the fire ant postcard in the hand of that client is as their kid runs in from the backyard screaming covered yeah, in ants. Right. That's the
1: moment we're back you to want screaming your children. guy okay. the doorbell <laughs> at the front of the house saying, Hey, yeah,
0: yeah, are you I, having a
1: problem with fire ants? Cause we could take care of this right now.
0: For I you. heard a screaming child it just so happens.
1: <laughs> yes. I take care of fire ants. Yeah. That's the dream. So how do you try to get as close to that optimal
0: scenario as possible? I, I think what, uh, probably the biggest point here is, and, and not to beat a dead horse, but I think the the concentrated thing that I want the, our listeners to focus on is to really get aggressive on that timing and to not necessarily be afraid of it. Like you said, I think, and that, it was kind of overshadowed, but I want to go back to what you just said about, that's great. If someone else did the education for you and it's always on their dime, they, you know, they kind of uh, broke the trail, so to speak, to use something that uh, Cody would probably say in his other podcast. Uh, if they broke the trail for you, then it kind of, it kind of leads to, um, an easier road for you. And uh, is, you, you
2: blaze a trail
0: blaze. A tra- okay. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, my point is that uh, the, the fear of losing out on business should not affect the, the timing aspect of it. That, that's something the major point that you kind of wanted to hit. Is there any other items, uh, Jonathan, that you kind of would go after in terms of that, um, that upsell, that easy grab uh, any other, you know, tidbits or like quick, quick nuggets of when knowledge. When
1: you say items, what do you mean by items?
0: Uh, any services, products that that are kind of, you know, easy going as far as is uh, it as far as transition?
1: Well, if there's it depends on your business model if there's any and you know, this isn't going to work for everyone because in our world, um, in our business is different than many. Um, let me give the, give kind of give you this thought first and I'll clarify. Um, or actually, let me tell you what I was going to say first. So, if there's anything, you have an expense to even roll the truck and show up at the client's property. You know, so there's a fair bit of expense you have to cover just getting the truck to the property. So what else could you sell the client while you're already there? You think about companies like True Green and Scott's and some of these other companies, and you think about how they incent their team members, and they really incent them uh, strongly to sell something to the client while they're at the job site and perform that service while they're there because they already got the truck to the property. You've already incurred the expense to get them there. You've already incurred that expense. And, you know, it, that's the most likely time that the client will buy as well while you're standing right. Like you want them to make that buying decision right then.
2: So if your employee's there and they see a screaming child run inside that's covered in fire ants. Sell fire
1: ants, exactly. We're so, or, or, having or way too much fun with this, dude. You're in the backyard and you're treating the lawn and you go to the front and you knock on the door and you say, Hey, Miss Smith, did you know you've got nine fire ant piles in the backyard? I could take care of that for you today. And not only that, we've got this awesome product in the truck that when I take care of this, you won't see these for an entire year. Like not only are we just going to get rid of them, they're going to be gone for a year and you won't even see them in your that's a, that's a powerful selling point. Yeah. And so that's a perfect example of an upsell. So Bear, I think it's about a ima- knowing your business and imagining um, what is it that we could sell that could be performed in addition to that we would have the tools on the truck or the know-how that we could perform while we're already there. That's, that's one thing. And the reason I uh, kind of stuttered there at the beginning was that doesn't work for everyone. So for example, City Turf, we've learned through a lot of testing that generally we send a team to provide one service, just mow or just trim bushes or just do fertilization weed control. So I'd have to think through it. Like I couldn't send my lawn mowing crew there and try to upsell you bush trimming at the same time. That's not our model. Um, and so it'd be a different truck that comes back, but I could send a, a f- fertilization weed control tech, um, out there and I could sell you year long ant treatments. I could sell you grub treatments. I could sell you a whole variety of additional services, uh, ornamental services, a whole variety of things while he's there. And, or I could sell them even better. I, I try to sell them in advance before he gets there. So it's already on his, on his route sheet, on his mobile device, telling him what to do and he can do it while he's there. And then, uh, in, in addition to that, he could also make an effort to try to sell you anything else that he sees.
0: It also would be helpful too, I think, for technicians that show up that do have the capability—not necessarily with the model that you're talking about, uh, but with the with the the companies out there that do have more flexibility within their team structure. That what if uh, what if a client wants to skip on you? You know, they're like, oh, I don't, my lawn doesn't need to be mowed today. Okay, well, great. Well, you know, those hedges are looking pretty tall. You want us to knock that out since we're since we're already here. Uh, I mean, is there, is there a lot of concern about that? You, like you said, you've already incurred the expense about, and you're on the property. Uh, are there kind of, I guess they would be detitled as desperation. Can I, can I ask a
2: cutthroat question along
0: with that? No more uh, screaming children, dude.
2: <laughs> so your crew pulls up to a customer's house and they wave them off. Mm-hmm. You've incurred the expense of the crew showing up there. Are they getting charged
1: a trip charge? No. Yeah. No? no, but if it happens too often, then they may not be an ideal client okay. and we may need to move a different direction or help them find a new service provider. But
2: I was excited to be cutthroat.
1: Yeah, the cutthroat thing kind of really screws up the whole customer service thing. So there's some amount of um, sacrifice and um, acceptance and um, chalking that lost money up to um, maintaining that relationship in the long-term customer service, doing what's best for the client. Um, I think there there's absolutely very different schools of thought out there. If you read a lot of the Facebook forums and you read a lot of um, uh, lawn care forums and cleaning forums and other forums, you'll see a tremendous number of people will have a couple bad experiences. Oh, this client ripped me off for this amount of money. And so they institute a whole new policy in their business or this team member did this thing. And so now we got a new company policy. and And so instead of I'm um, dealing with that one individual or that one client. They create a whole new policy for their co- company. That to, punishes everyone. Punishes right. everyone, or they have 400 clients and five of them cause some number of problems. And so they're like, "Well, we're not what I you know we're not doing biweekly anymore. Or we're not going to take checks, or we're not. I don't. I can't think of a good scenario of uh, or oh now we're converting everybody in the company to contracts because we got four people that didn't pay us." So you've complicated the entire business for 400 other clients and for yourself over the small number. And, and, and so I think that example that you gave is one of usually those little small things like that a skip across the thousands of services you're going to perform for the year or a couple of skips. Who cares in a broad scheme of things? It's just a cost of doing business. And, um, and it's very easy to get really short-sighted on that stuff. Now, if that client just keeps doing it over and over again, well, then there's no money in that account. We need to talk to them. And first we talk to him like, Hey, we just explain it and have a easygoing conversation. And if we can't work it out and it continues, then we're going to, like I said, have to help them find someone else. There's ways to handle that.
0: I think his statement just opened up the door for the next episode, and another opportunity for when Jonathan comes back on. I want to talk about cost of doing business with you. Okay. Uh, Cause I think that's something that comes up quite a bit um, in just my sales discussions uh, with service autopilot and with discussing with people in the industry, you know, uh, we've been to these conferences and that's a lot of the, a lot of the networking, a lot of the chatter is about cost of doing business. So I want to do definitely touch on that in some time in the future. Before I wrap this up, Cody, um, I don't want to steal your thunder. You want to kill any more children or (laughs) Uh, fire? Let the record
2: reflect that I have not killed any children. I've talked about them being bitten by ants. It's an experience that every child should have. It grows you as a person. Okay, it builds. It builds character. Fire ants made me the person that I am today. Bear, I think every child in
1: Texas has had that experience. That's true.
2: That experience where you're sitting on the lawn and you lean back, your hands are behind you, and then you feel lots of things on your hand all at once. They all bite in unison.
0: Well, we really, Jonathan, we really appreciate you being on Thank this you both. Uh, latest uh, edition of the Profit Roadmap. Uh, really sensational stuff. So really. Uh, I put commit this one to memory, guys. Save it, download it, share it. Buy with some them. first class stamps. Buy some first class stamps. Uh, kick that little devil off your shoulder. Do not um, get too excited when children get bitten by fire ants, like Cody. But other than that, it's really a really great selling opportunity. But it is a selling no, but, opportunity. But the dollar I signs capitalizing yeah. one on you and can so really take advantage of it. But I really, uh, this was a fabulous, fabulous episode. Again, so again, Jonathan, we really thank you for coming in today, and uh, we're really excited to have you on again here in the future. As always, I'm Baird Uplissi. He's Cody Owen. This was Jonathan Potoshnik on The Profit Roadmap. We'll see you next time.
2: The music in this episode of The Profit Roadmap was Riptide and Summon the Rock by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. If you want to check out Kevin's music, it's some good stuff, Incompetech.com.